Blog Talk Radio. Welcome to the Dash Radio Show. (laughs) What do you think? (laughs) I think I'm liking this. I'm liking this. Tomorrow it's going to be all by itself. We've had so much fun, guys. So Alex and Andy and Aaron have done our our AAA, um, the Dash AAA team, have been working in the soundboard uh, for the past couple of days. There's a lot of fun stuff that's in front of me right now that uh, I'm just going to have to, to, I'm going to pull it out and just, like, Blast everybody with it every once in a while. So <laughs> it should be a lot of whip it out. We're going to out. Ready? <laughs> we have a crowd going wild and everything. <laughs> That's good. All right. All right. So tonight, I'm John Red Oliveris. This is Peter Mingles. We'll be that same two people tomorrow night. But tonight, we uh, we're here talking about the tough stuff. Um, you know, we are both committedly and and quite publicly in love with the network marketing and melon industry direct sales. And um, as two people who have spent an awful lot of time uh, really committedly doing what it is we do in this industry, from advocacy to leadership in the field to um, tools and support services and and um, strategists and uh, all sorts of stuff, we've done lots of stuff between the two of us, um, we, we are also in a position where we see a lot of stuff. And um, it's, it's, it's disheartening at times, and it can be very frustrating and uh, so we're, we're this week we're talking a lot about what can be done about it, what are some of the things that are going wrong out there right now that, that maybe we can do something about as, as people who love this industry. Peter, why don't you go ahead and kick it off and, and pick a topic, any topic. Sure. Well, I think probably the most important thing is we talked about education um, yesterday and the importance of education. And isn't it always the person that knows the most has the advantage over the situation. So if you're playing a board game and you know more than other people, then you have advantage. Um, so it's in the education process that I really focus a lot of my time and attention. But that's got to be balanced out with levels of enthusiasm because in our industry, a lot of people do it on enthusiasm, not necessarily education. So you have to blend it together. Otherwise, you don't want to get too analytical about it because if you get too analytical about it you'll probably never do nothing so i know that's not the right words but the reality (laughs) is you have to kind of blend it together so you don't get paralyzed so eventually you're going to have to get out so where's the balance and the balance of course is going to be relative to that education process so we're going to talk a little bit about some stuff and maybe point out some resources along the way give people a little bit of, um, uh, if you will, knowledge of some of the things that are out there, and I'll get started again with my academic, Dr. Charles King. Sixteen or seventeen years ago, um, I had flown from Florida, which is where we wanted to live by design, to Chicago, which is where I just came from, to meet with a gentleman. His name is Dr. Charles King. Dr. Charles King was a gentleman, or still is a gentleman, that wrote a book called The New Professionals with Mark and Rene Yarnell, who were leading new skin distributors and some of the highest paid people on the planet in our industry at that time. And Mark is a great spokesperson and a great statesman. He is a wordsmither, probably better than anybody I've ever seen weave an interesting story. And I've had a chance to witness him in his prime. 
when so when he's on, he's on. And anyway, so he and Dr. Charles wanted to help people understand the network marketing world. So they figured the credibility of the university would certainly help. And it's kind of interesting. We used to do them at the Hilton Hotel in uh, Oak Brook. Um, I think it was in Oak Brook. Um, and then we moved it to McDonald's University. Now, most people don't realize that McDonald's has their own university, and it's actually Hamburger U, and it's in Oak Brook, right opposite from the office that I had at P.F. Collier's eventually when I came back, and that's where I was working over there, uh, or when I was over there, so I knew exactly where it was, and it was this wonderful building where they actually taught people the science behind the McDonald's franchise. So I wanted to learn that level of truth, Dawn. Like, where's Mm -hmm. the academic uh, reality behind this business so I can get the foundation? Because from the distributors, lots of times they're biased, of course. They would have to be to be so emotionally sold on the products or services they have. So we start off with education. And, um, you know, reading uh, Dr. Charles King, I think he's rewriting the book eventually. If you picked up the old book, it would be great because you got a chance to see a little bit about the old-fashioned network marketing before all the newfangled stuff happened relative to the Internet. But we want to start off by talking about an education process and some of the stuff that's happening in time today in the news as far as timely processes that are really bringing this thing to a head. And I'll mention specifically um, the stuff that happened with a company called Burn Lounge, which was almost like a Napster kind of thing. I'm I'm messing it up specifically, but it was kind of like a Napster kind of a thing where people would buy music, and they found that most of the people that bought music through Burn Lounge were only Burn Lounge people. So it was a self-consuming kind of gig, and there were really no sales to outside people. There were the Amway thing that happened in 1979, run by a friend of ours. His attorney name is Gerald Nira, and Gerald Nira was on the, uh, the, the, uh, the legal team that helped fight the wars for network marketing companies when they were talking about what is the right mixture between uh, distributors buying products and does that count? and outside customers buying products, and does that count? And they came up with this thing called the 70% rule, which was 70% of your previous purchases had to be sold before you could buy more, which is an interesting philosophy. And then the next part would be is you have to have retail customers, customers that aren't part of the compensation plan. They would probably buy the product anyway. And those have all played out on small scales, but just recently, and, and I don't know if I have the players' names perfectly um, uh, pronounced, but a gentleman named Mr. Ackman took the task to Herbalife. Now, some network marketing companies have become privately held, which means they're, they have stock, and regular people buy stock. And I guess there's games that people play when people buy and sell stock, and Mr. Ackman is probably going to sue me for what I'm going to say next, but he's one of those people that learned the game of buying and selling. And I guess for whatever reason, makes a profit if the price goes down. So it's the short selling thing, and I won't pretend to be an expert on stocks, because the only thing I know how to do personally is lose money on the stock market. So (laughs) anything coming from me relative to a stock thing 
probably doing the opposite would be your best bet. So <laughs> that's verifiable. I buy whatever story anybody tells me, and I think, hey, that's pretty good. I think I can make that work. So I'm a sales <laughs> sales guy. Shouldn't be buying stock based on the story because I could sell myself on anything. And unfortunately, I had the receipts to prove this. Mm-hmm. Um, so the scenario with, with Mr. Ackman was he gets a benefit of short selling the Herbalife stock. Um, other people in Herbalife, who are the distributors, of course, don't think that it's a pyramid. But yet, he takes his version of the facts and presents it very, very well, and identifies a whole bunch of stuff. So as we are speaking right now, people are looking at the network marketing industry based on perhaps the information they're being given and are going to draw their own conclusions. Now, Don, I have my favorite expression relative to conclusions is, unless I know all the variables, any conclusion I draw is probably wrong. So that would be number one favorite expression. Number two favorite expression is, if I need to be an expert at something to compete at that level, and I'm not, let's revert to phrase number one. Any conclusion I draw is probably wrong. So there's a lot of people that are making decisions about network marketing based on limited information or to coin the Brian Clemmer phrase. We always like to give people credit where credit is due relative to where maybe I heard it first. But Brian was always real big on his sunglasses example, that you view the world through your big sunglasses. And you're going to make a decision perhaps based on the experiences you have relative to your sunglasses and how you view the world. So we're witnessing this stuff as it's happening right now. Mr. Ackman is a gentleman that's got billions of dollars at stake. People on the competing side have billions of dollars at stake. They're raising compelling things that you could say, you know, that guy's right over there. He's a little bit off over here, but he's right over there. So based on a lot of people really not being associated with this industry, we are probably going to see inquiries by federal government, uh, inquiries by regulators, inquiries by a whole bunch of things, and that's where it gets kind of crazy because now we have people that don't understand our industry making decisions from people that are claiming that they understand but don't understand their industry, and it's going to be a big mess. The bottom line is, is a big mess, but it introduces some hot topics. So it's kind of like, in a certain regard, like the Lance Armstrong scenario. It's, come on, guys, we probably know you did. You finally came clean. This is going to be revealing in one of many levels. Network marketing is going through that right now as we speak, and some people are addressing it and some people are considering it, oh, that's negative or we shouldn't talk about these issues. But the whole purpose here, I think, is the people that are the most educated get the best ability to make whatever decision they choose to make, and some of them are always going to be in that, you know, I'm not really sure, but in the gray somewhat area. So, Dawn, one of those topics is about, you know, money and systems and hype and over-promotion and the people that do, like, the um, TV shows just eat that stuff up because they could always find the innocent victim with the victim story um, against a big, bad company and the guy who's making a lot of money. So I don't know where you want to take it from there, but that kind of lays a backdrop for some of this call. Absolutely. And, you know, you and I were talking a little bit about this earlier, and I I think that maybe starting where we ended is, is actually appropriate because 
you know, we truly, and you you spoke to this very well, and I know that you'll get into it a little bit more here. Um, we truly reward all the wrong things. So let's let's not even label right, wrong, good, or bad right here. Let's just say. We seem to be a society of people, and this is not just in America, this is globally, but a a society of people who are judging horribly a man who basically did and followed the values that were put before him. And, um, and, And I say that because... Like, you can't look at all of these athletes, and and this is before drug testing. This is before we were all saying this was a terrible thing to do. Um, And everybody was putting him on the pedestal of all pedestals because he was able to get those speeds and and to be able to defy all that is human. Um, And he did that at his own personal risk, not at anyone else's, okay? He did that at his own personal risk. And he he went for it with all that he was, even even to the point where he risked his own physical well-being and body to do so. And I look at Lance Armstrong and say, you know, he did that and he paid the price for those things. Now, do I I, I get that he lied about it, and I, I get we're going to go into all of the reasons that that he he really missed the ball. At the same time, does that mean that he didn't break those records? You know, does that mean that he should be put in the fiction section of a library? Does that mean that he should be hung in the town square and and flogged until you can't recognize that he's Lance Armstrong anymore? And I've heard a lot of really, really uh, very passionate opinions about Lance Armstrong in the past couple of weeks. Um, so I think that, like, let's talk a little bit about like what got the what got us where we are, what got him where he is, and. And, you know, well, I mean, is there really, uh, what could we do different, I guess, would be the the place to start. If we don't want people to be running after those goals um, and those, those, those uh, how do we say it, Peter? Come on, well, help it's me out human, here. It's, it's human nature, a flawed, if you will, human nature, <laughs> perhaps what happened with Lance Armstrong. But does it happen here? in our industry as well, and maybe for the same reasons. So, mm-hmm. therefore, when you're looking at it, I don't now I don't know a poll of the number of people that are watching or listening in on our show, but I don't think many people were surprised when he said, yeah, I did it, eventually. I think they might be surprised of what he said after I did it. You know, they were expecting something else. But the reality is I really don't think – I, I hope I have a read on this. I don't, I don't think most people said, oh, are you kidding me? Oh, my gosh, he just came out? I think most people probably realize that with as many flags and as many people and as many tests and as many things that happened, he was probably guilty and they were just waiting for him eventually to come, quote, unquote, clean. Um, so, but if that could happen to him at that competitive level, do you think that could happen in any other industry? And to be naive to that point, I think would be naive to that point. So, you know, why does it happen? People are seduced by the power. How many times you heard the expression power, what is it, power corrupts, and then absolute power corrupts absolutely. So we all realize that that's part of human nature. Are we going to change that? No. It's part of human nature. It's not an acceptable part. It's not the right part, but we're this is an adult show, and we realize that these things are going to happen. Is it going to happen in politics? Sure. Is it going to happen in the military? Absolutely. If there's humans in place, humans are humans, 
and these things are going to happen. But here's the problem. If you're making your business decision based on those things, then that's more of a legal issue or more more than just a moral issue because now it's affecting the lives of other people. So let's kind of use this as we bring this back to anybody else. Oh, and by the way, when you were mentioning your Lance Armstrong thing, you weren't really mentioning Lance Armstrong's name. So I was thinking about all of the other athletes that I knew, especially in athletics, where mm-hmm. they were doping up for that was the culture at that time. I think of people that live their dreams and eventually sometimes destroy things like Arnold Schwarzenegger. Mm-hmm. I remember as a young man, you know, hearing him tell stories about how his parents, this is going to be not the right theme to say this, but they thought there was something wrong with Arnold because he had pictures of guys greased up on his walls, you know? <laughs> so, like, what kind of son do we have? You know, this is when he was in his teens. And mm-hmm. eventually his dream and his goal was to become a bodybuilder and then eventually parlay that into many things and eventually marry a Kennedy. And mm-hmm. he he did really well and actually fulfilled his goals. But, you know, as a human being, it's pretty tough to become that big and that muscular and that strong and that everything. But that was the culture back then. And there was a lot of things that the culture back then could never really be excused, but it could be used to be explained away. So that was like the Lance Armstrong thing. It was pro- it was never socially acceptable, but it's kind of like the things that people did. Now those it's are things, it's quite honestly it's the things people are still doing. And if yeah. you look at any of, I mean, you cannot look at a female bodybuilding competition and tell me that the woman with the elongated jaw and the pre- precisely cut body, who is three to five times the size of a normal female, is not still using steroids. And it's it's just to me like because I, I was a, I don't know if I told you this Peter but I was a personal trainer um, yeah I think I mentioned it because yep, I was talking talk. about Aola yep, and uh, yeah so I I was at Bally Total Fitness for a while and then I moved over to um, a 24 hour gym away from Bally and uh, it was it was just it was a nicer kind of uh, atmosphere being available 24 seven and you know a little less. Um, a little less the single scene and a little more the serious bodybuilding gym. And so uh, we went and we, we got involved. My husband and I got, got, got work over there, and we loved it. But let me tell you, there, there was no such thing as going to a bodybuilding competition and without people. And this is only about, I would say, 10 years ago, maybe, maybe 12. And, and all of those people were still doing rounds of steroids. They weren't doing them by the time they got to the competition, you know, they were able to go ahead and pass the test, but they didn't get to those places with their bodies and their musculatures without the use of steroids. So, I mean, it's like we, we put all this pressure on, I mean, I don't know how, and we were we were laughing about this earlier, but how you would get to the place where, you know, okay, people who don't use anything to go ahead and get to, you know, their their most um most impeccable yet natural musculature, most most, you know, speedy yet natural, you know, totally natural, no augmentation, no support, no chemical uh chemical altering, no anything in one category and then maybe have, you know, the the enhanced category over here. Because first of all, these people aren't actually doing anything that um that is is of any harm to anyone else. And they really, really are having a very difficult time moving backwards because really that's what we're asking everyone in that category to do is to move backwards. 
you may have already looked like this, but you're no longer allowed to do those things. So you have to come back at this psychologically, emotionally, however however they're they're trying to do it, and get them to actually accept a, lo- a lesser being, a lesser standard, a, a, a slower time. Um, all of those things are just really difficult on these athletes. And, you know, we talk about how it um, impacts us in every area of life, you know. We have we have a really high bar set in a lot of industries now, and the bar is set usually by money. I, I haven't seen really anything that is a stronger motivator than than money. So you know we have that in network marketing all the time. You know people who are you know they're they're going after a specific income, um, and so they have to fit it. They have to fit the program that they're working into the income they're used to having. And it's like, you know, there's only so many ways you can split a buck in a comp plan, you know. So you've got companies and owners who are looking to create new inventive ways that people can earn. And, you know, how are you going to split the money between the company and the distributors out there and the affiliates out there? And how do you make it so that there's enough money in it for the little new guy starting out so he can make enough money, but that there's also enough money in it for the leaders, and you know it's a real challenge, and the the structure that is being used to go ahead and you know all of the um, the limiting factors that are being put into place by all of the, the the people out there who who do that for a living, they're putting all of the regulations out there, and then you've got the companies who are trying to exist in a world where their top earners are used to very high income levels, um, but we're telling them all the things they can't do. And we're, they're trying to create new stuff out of this. And it's a very, very difficult environment right now. Very competitive, for sure. Mm-hmm. So if you're going to live your life, and who are we to tell anybody how to live their life, one of the ways to be able to do these things is get as much education as you possibly can so you can choose what seems to be good for you. Because I, because there are people that on a competitive level will do whatever it takes to get ahead because that's just the way they are. They have different values. They have different sacrifices that they'll make. And who's to say what's right or what's wrong? But if you're coming in, at least you can be educated a little bit. So let's talk about some of those challenges that I see relative to the industry. Number one would be is the weakness in thinking that the only thing that people are looking for is that superstar income, that millions of dollars a month, that nebulous story. I'm going to throw Mark under the bus on this one. Mark Yarnell's story about money and how people and how he made money and the wonderful, crafty ways that he was able to do it was somewhat spectacular. Mark would say things like, you know, the biggest problem I have is I can't find enough banks that federally insure the amount of funds that I'm making. Do you know how hard it is to go open up a bank account? Because they only, they only insure these things for $100,000. And my check was over $800,000. And I had to drive 70 miles just to open up another bank account. Now, you'd say, you know, you know, you'd say, and, you know, Mark, and he had a great way of delivering that. And he painted a wonderful picture. But do you really think everybody in his company had a problem with the federal, the FDIC only being a hundred thousand a month, and he could tell that story and put people into a trance. He could have them bark like a chicken. I'm telling you, he was great and still is great at that, and it's a wonderful story. Now he also, I gotta, I gotta tell you the other side of Mark too. He also worked his tail off. 
He also told people there was no free lunch. He also always told his stories, the good, the bad, and the ugly, so he always balanced it out. But, man, when he was on a roll, he could he could literally, um, he could put people into a trance. If that's the only way they're doing it, then I think that's part of the challenge. So there's enough people out there that will buy that story. It's easy. Anyone can do it. You know, if you're not making $100,000 a month, uh, before you hang up the phone call, you're probably doing it wrong. All of those types of things. And we hear that, right? Mm-hmm. If you're not making 100000 a month, you're a loser. and mm-hmm. uh, and uh, Or you're doing it wrong or whatever. Or you've got to follow a duplicatable system. All those types of things that are out there. The challenges are is that sometimes that hype and over-promotion, now we say uh, socially it's not really right, but the Herbalife issue is holding them accountable. You and I say, you know, you probably shouldn't say it that way. But when you're dealing with stock and stockholders and regular investments and regulatory agencies, and then you're showing videos of people that are saying they're doing those types of things, and perhaps even a company culture that seems to glorify the heroes out there based on their money, and then you wonder and you speak to any one of those people that are driving the Bentleys or the Ferraris or the whatever, how much of that stuff did you really sell this month yourself personally? And they say, none. You know. And you start to look at that and say, wait a minute, there's something going wrong or there's something a little bit askew here in the way we sell the story. So there's an accountability that's coming out because, as everybody knows, if you're selling a stock – and you're presenting it in certain ways, and then it is presented as being something other than what it really is, you can kind of get yourself in trouble. And what Mr. Ackman is doing is trying to show that people are buying a lot of volume just to hit the qualifications that they need Mm -hmm. for this superstar status. And you know what? He's telling the truth too many times. Because when you really rip through the reports, you'll see, why is a guy putting $8,000 on his credit card when the qualifications are $8,000? Why is it $8,042 every single month? He's buying his position. So is there real sales to outside customers going on? And the answer is probably not. And I picked the, word eight, I picked the number 8000 arbitrarily, but when you start to take a look at the numbers, I am sure... When the guys that look at numbers start to look at numbers, they will probably see that it is kind of suspicious that all of the ranks are being hit plus or minus a few percentage points of what the requirements are. So are we rewarding the right things or not? So go ahead. Well, I mean, okay, so as somebody who came up the came up the, the ranks of the nutraceutical um and and your the basic unilevel in network marketing for a while, the the purpose and and this was for myself as as a leader over there and I got involved with AOLA and then I got involved with Sunrider Corporation. And yeah, we built we did buy all of those products on a monthly basis and then we bought them at wholesale and we re- turned around and flipped them and sold them at retail. So, you know, I think that there's there's people, and I don't know if they're still doing it the old school way. I don't know if these, you know, if, if it just hasn't ever been proven 
that the the people who are doing that kind of volume are turning around and selling the product and and I think that's really what we have to look at are because I mean in my normal everyday business my savage traders business my savage smokes business I'm going ahead and buying my products at wholesale from companies and that I'm turning around and I'm selling them into stores and to other people at at, you know, at a margin, and then they go ahead and they turn. If, it's, if I'm selling them into stores, they sell them at another margin. Um, so, you know, I think that there's there's an awful lot of people all over the world who are buying products from companies and then turning around and selling them at a margin. Um, and you know, it's difficult when we hear something like this because there's no way that we can go and say, okay, so let's check in the top ten earners and that, that are that are buying this product and let's see what they do have. How are they turning over their product? You know, and I think that somebody needs to go ahead and and really ask those questions. You know, I think Akron right. needs to go ahead and look at that that as well. Exactly, and here's what probably will be found. Um, probably what will be found is that people are buying more or less whatever the compensation plan dictates for them to buy. So when compensation plan modifies behavior, it becomes somewhat too suspicious. Let me give you one example on the flip side. Um, A company that's no longer around having nothing to do with the company except for mismanagement. So I'm just going to state that right there as controversial as that might say. And it doesn't really matter which one it was because lots of companies get taken out because of mismanagement. They had a great product line. And they had a requirement where people had to buy for certain levels at least $100 a month. That was the arbitrary modified behavior volume level. The products were so wide in range that people like myself said initially, well, I don't want to have to buy 100 This is what I said initially. Why should I have to buy $100 in products? And then you forget, wait a minute, this is supposed to be something. Like, would I ever hire a sales rep that ever said, oh, I want to sell, oh, I want you to train me, I want you to support me, I want you to do all these things. Oh, and by the way, I'm only going to sell $100 a month in products for you. I mean, in direct mm-hmm. sales, I would say, are you kidding me? Like, Forget it. What are you talking about? Mm-hmm. Like, you want me to do what for you and you're going to do what? I'm like, oh, my gosh, get out of my office. You know, like those are the types of people we throw away. But yet in network marketing, sometimes it's a different story. I mean, i got to buy $100 in product. And if you're thinking right there, it's okay to start that way, but then you change your mind over time as you learn a lot more about what you do. But I remember that one company, Dawn, three months later, four months later, where I was literally voluntarily, for my own personal use, buying hundreds of dollars more than that. Sometimes mm-hmm. it was 500 bucks, sometimes it was 600 bucks, sometimes it was $1,000 a month because it was a product that I wanted, maybe it was a little bit higher price. And then you might say, well, wait a minute, Peter. You're still talking about, okay, so the, the dollar amount doesn't necessarily modify your behavior negatively, but did you retail sell any of those products or did you just self-consume? Mm-hmm. I said, oh, wait a minute, you know, you're right. Just because I move a lot of stuff internally, and this is the question that is always being raised, does that count for commissions. Am I really an outside customer? So, Don, if you sponsored me and I bought $1,000 worth of stuff for myself, do I qualify as that retail customer? And, you know, if we had all the attorneys and all the guys that consider themselves attorneys in our industry on the phone, they'd be, you know, yelling and screaming and talking about whatever versions of whatever definitions <laughs> they have. But all it really matters is that, you know what, Peter, you keep it a lot cleaner if you actually sold some of that stuff to somebody else. 
that didn't have part of the compensation plan. So what you do with Savage Smokes, the arrangement you have with the different purchasing prices and volumes and terms and all the stuff that you have, that's different. You're not recruiting people for an MLM kind of a scheme. And right. what, what Ackman is doing is he's bringing all of this up front. He's forcing the world, if you will, to have this conversation when Herbalife is on the front page of the Wall Street Journal more than a few times a decade, he is bringing this straight up front. And right now it's going to be playing out in the courts as we speak. So what are his issues? Now, by the way, i got to throw, if I had to throw somebody under a bus, it's going to be a gentleman named Robert Fitzpatrick. Robert Fitzpatrick, this is my opinion, is someone who's a mathematician and doesn't certainly understand their industry, because he says things like, you know, all these MLM things, they're a scam. Because if you had five people on your first level, and then you, those people got five, and those people got five, and those people got five, and those people got five, by the time you're down to 13 levels, everybody in the, in the world would have already been in your MLM deal. And then the next time, everybody that hasn't been born yet for the next decade would be in your deal. So obviously, somebody's going to be a loser. The last guy in is never going to be able to recruit anybody because the whole entire planet is in your business. And I say, Robert... So here's one of my other favorite expressions. Anybody that argues from extremes weakens their argument. If you're arguing from that level of extreme, that weakens your argument. I discount you forever for using that, ever, as a reason for why these things can't grow. Amway's been around since the beginning of time, it feels like. Matter of fact, I think you just posted mm -hmm. something to me about Bill Britt passing away. Mm -hmm. They've been around like since the very, 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 very beginning. They were one of the first network marketing companies. And the reality is is that not all of us are in Amway. Now, we, all of us might have joined and quit, but the reality was not all of us are in Amway right now. So the whole saturation deal doesn't really count. The way you build your downline is, you know, it's going to look a little bit more like roots on a tree. If you ever pull the tree up, when does it look like so uniform? There's little roots and there's big roots and there's really big roots and there's little skinny ones that kind of go away over time. That's the way these things are built. And that saturation issue isn't the issue. But the reality is is that, even these experts that get a chance to actually influence other people, I don't want to say they don't know what they're talking about, but they use arguments as extremes, and that's not right either. But they might have compelling arguments that are going to damage our industry because the regulators are usually some of the least educated about our industry, and they're the ones who have to form the regulation I'll give, or, or form a decision, rather. I'll give you an example. I sued, so this is Peter, I sued a company for wrongful termination, and we went through an arbitration process instead of a legal suit. Why? Because the company forced us to go through arbitration as opposed to a lawsuit. So when we went through that, Jerry Nira, who is that gentleman I referenced with high regard relative to Amway, was the opposing attorney. And we spent most of our time educating the mediator on what he was making a decision on. So I'm like, they knew more about, meaning the people that we were suing knew more about the business. And then if they were on the phone, they would say, that's right, Peter, we were the people that fired you, right? And I said, yeah, but wrongfully. You know, so we go back and forth, and I got the dollar check to prove that I won. So the reality was we, so both parties were educating the judge, even though it wasn't a judge, on the ruling that he was going to make. Dawn, could you imagine in a legal system where 
the the person who committed the crime and the people that were um, trying to prosecute that person was committing the crime was educating the judge. <laughs> That's what happens in our industry. Mm-hmm. So and it is. It's a tough industry, and there's so many people who have such completely. Um, misconceptions and preconceived notions about every company that is MLM that it's almost impossible to go ahead and, and, I mean, I don't know what a jury of of one's peers would look like that if somebody who who needed to go ahead and get into a courtroom and talk um, and really have people with no preconceived notions to, to our industry because it's just gotten such bad press and it's um, it, you know, like any industry where there's money involved, I'm just going to, you know, just a, a quick segue here. Anytime there's money to be made, there are sharks swimming in the water. It doesn't matter where you are in the world. It doesn't matter what industry, what product line. It doesn't matter at all because there's always going to be a dark element. There's always going to be people who are completely motivated by greed. There are going to be people who would rather steal than earn in any situation. Um, I've been involved with companies that we had, you know, there were people making great money, but there were still the people, the bottom feeders, who said, you know what, I don't want to actually earn this money. I want to steal it from the people who are earning it. And so there's always going to be that element. Um, You know, it's a sad state of affairs when every single person who hears the word MLM automatically gets an illegal pyramid in their mind because it's the furthest thing from the truth. But you're dealing with lawmakers and, and people all over who who actually have that notion. And I'm sure that's what you were dealing with in your courtroom. It was really it was really rather disappointing. It was interesting. Yeah. You know, I I was someone that was wrongfully terminated because of the ego associated with the manager or the owner, rather, of the previous company. And we'll, maybe we'll talk about that on another one as far as the dynamics of, the, of the, the situation. And I really, for my personal purposes, didn't have a lot at risk. I just wanted that person who was using my name the wrong way to stop using my name the wrong way. So for one reason for us, it was like we have to sue this guy for my purposes just so he'll shut up because there's no mm-hmm. other way I can legally shut him up legally. So this was just one way of being able to do it. But... I wasn't the one who had my whole entire livelihood at stake. So so in those regards, sometimes the stakes are really, really, really high. And, mm-hmm. again, because of the misconceptions associated with our industry, which, by the way, are mostly self-inflicted, um, that's how people learn about our industry, by watching the stuff associated with our industry. And those are the things that, in a very naive sense, we need to monitor, control, and probably stop. Whether we need the government to help us to do that is a different conference call. But the reality is is the challenge is that if the average person is listening in, I just want them to put on the glasses that say, wait a minute, what's the motivation of why I'm hearing whatever I'm hearing? And if you're that kind of a person, if you're the kind of person that just loves the party just because you want to get in and you don't need another social event or another tax write-off, it's a different story. <laughs> you know, if you're just doing it for whatever reasons you're just doing it for, then you're just doing it. But if you're really looking at this as a business and profession, you have to watch out. And I'm going to make an interesting case in point of something that has no relevance to anything, but for those people that are watching the news, um, they, saw, they just recently saw um, a woman, and I don't remember her name, so, you know, you're on CNN or Fox News or wherever you're going for your news, you'll see it. But the gal who wound up slaying 
the gentleman in the shower, you know, the nice humble one that now is going to be on death row if they find her convicted of doing these things, that mm-hmm. was somewhat network marketing related because she met them at a network marketing event. So so it was a home-based business kind of a thing. He specifically worked with a company called Prepaid Legal, which changed the name to Legal Shield. But the reality is is that these things that are, these things are out there and they're happening and if you're taking a look at this industry or you're in this industry if you don't know these things you don't have the survival skills to be able to play the game associated with winning this and when i use the game the, the term game i mean like to really understand the rules just like if you were to play a board game or if you were to play a, a, a you know a game when, in reference to working your business or just to be living life if you will is to understand the rules you got to understand the rules so number 1 is watch out for the hype and the over promotion they they're going to be using it anyway it's never going to stop. It's inherent in our industry, but don't get sucked up to it. You watch who you're drinking the Kool-Aid from. Next is in the real world, it takes a lot of effort sometimes at the beginning. The analogy that I would use sometimes, it's a little bit like flying a plane. When you fly a plane or if you've ever sat in one, that pilot you know, does his little checklist, and then what does he do? When it comes to the throttle, he and the co-pilot, if there's a co-pilot, what do they do? They say, well, it's kind of like ease it up, you know? No, that sucker's at full throttle. That, that thing is at full throttle until it clears the trees. And then once it clears the trees, it's got to stay at full throttle to be able to pull back. If you pull back at any time prior to that, it's probably not going to work. Now, that's the way I've seen most businesses work. And network marketing companies, for most of us, are going to be like most businesses. Every once in a while, yes, someone wins a lottery ticket. Yes, every once in a while, somebody sponsors somebody who sponsors somebody, or there's a little bit more to the story. They happen to be the leading distributor, and the whole entire company flows under them. Look for the story is what I'm asking. Look for that story. Recreate that. Say, if you were to recreate it, can you tell me where your income is coming from? And I'll give you the dismal and dismaying end result. If you ask most people, where does your income come from? they really won't be able to tell you that answer. They might be able to say how much they make. But if you said, no, 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 I really want you to go through the DNA. Let's go through the crime scene. When you make this amount of money, where is it really broken down to? Most people really won't know where that is. So therefore, they can't recreate it, which, by the way, is the power of the compensation plan, but also the delusion sometimes that people have when they associate he's making a lot of money with he knows what he's doing. If someone is using, and I'm not going to name names here, if someone is using, oh, Joe Smith is making a million dollars a month as a recruiting tool, and that means that everything that comes from Joe Smith's mouth has to be coming from the gospel, that might not necessarily be right. Because <laughs> that is the truth, Peter. <laughs> he, could be, he could be the top of the comp plan. And, just because and have no top. clue. I have been on conference calls with people who... Um, had been with the company a really long time, but then really extreme changes took place. And just because they were with the company a really long time, you know, they were at liberty to get onto a call and speak. And I, I have sat and like hid under my desk and gone, okay, that guy can't get on another call ever, or the company's going to get into an awful lot of trouble. And people don't realize, they just don't realize that just because somebody has made their name in a company does not mean that they are a strong person to be trained by. Right. So the very unpopular thing might be to suggest 
you don't have to identify these people for whatever it is that they are. They have the position, they have the power, they have the paycheck, certainly. But ask yourself, how did that happen? If you knew the real story, and when I say you, I mean if the people listening in knew the real story behind most of the people that are put up there as being the true ones, I'm not taking anything away from them when I'm saying they probably didn't do it all themselves. You'll find that somebody, it might have been through marriage, and then all of a sudden the stronger partner took over. It might have been through acquisition. A lot of people don't realize that in a growing business there's acquisitions. When one company gets placed under somebody, they have to be put somewhere, that somebody makes a lot of money. And if they happen to run a radio show or if they happen to have a publication or if they happen to have something else, it gets spread all over the place. And then all of a sudden they become the heroes or the darlings. And it was just a dope. Company A merged with Company B, and everybody's under me, and all of a sudden I'm a bazillionaire. You say, <laughs> well, wait a minute. Maybe that can explain why you can't do anything except for cash a check. But the reality then is we start to look for that. And I started to look at that, Dawn, when, when I would speak to people, and i say, wait a minute. All right, so tell me how it works, because if I want to duplicate your effort, how does it work? And you know what too many times you'll find? There's always a story. Now, that, now <laughs> by the way, i got to share with you, that's great news for anyone that's listening in because why the reason why I say that's great news for anyone that's listening in is if you work hard and you and you do the right things and you find the right people you mm-hmm. increase the odds of that happening for you so you could be working with I'm going to make up a story you could be working with somebody in the United States who's a really nice person that somebody else knows somebody in Brazil and when your company opens up in Brazil, you, the business explodes because it may be a great product or a great whatever in Brazil, and you still make the money. That's the beauty of it. You never know who you're talking to. You never know who they know, what's going to happen, and that gives everyone a level playing field if you work your tail off. Because if you work your tail off, you increase the odds of that happening. So. Mm-hmm. So that's the great thing about it. Something happens if you stick with it and you just don't quit and you do the right things. And you don't have to do the wrong things to be able to get the above-average income if you're doing it the right way. So if you're selling products to out people outside the deal, if you're constantly effectively building your business, if you're not relying on just hype and over-promotion because those things are very short-lived and companies that use only that, are usually around the flash in the pan. Lots of people might make some money, but they're usually not around forever. So if you're built on the hardworking stuff, and then, like the challenge here, is when you have icons in the industry with brand names like Herbalife being ripped apart by investors, it's just one more exposure of some of the things that you need to be knowledgeable of relative to this industry. So um, it's kind of it's kind of fun to watch. It, it's kind of really great to see that people that don't have to go back to school can do network marketing. It's kind of neat to see, you know, the same opportunities for the, the kid just growing or coming out of high school or not even passing from high school um, could have wonderful opportunities. It's kind of neat that this industry is an industry of second and third and fourth and fifth chances. It's kind of neat that people can do network marketing that come from backgrounds that they can't do anything else with. Um, All those things are really great strengths if used and applied the right way, but, man, you got to get a handle on what's going on in the back end relative to the rules. 
All right, Dawn, so anything else you want to add about that? You know, nope. I think that we have definitely we, we, we covered that topic. Yep. <laughs> Perfect. And next, so, go ahead. Go ahead, Peter. No, next, moving on. Well, I just really think that it's um, one of the the big questions out there that always reaches me, um, and it doesn't matter. Like people just know that I've been in network marketing, and they ask me, "How do you pick the right company?" You know, and I think that that's really the biggest, most important question that that people are always asking. So, I mean, you've been in this even longer than I have, and you do incredible training. What what would be, in your opinion, the most important factors? You know, I mean, for me, just to go ahead and kick this off, my my most important factor is always about the product. Um, the first thing that I have to fall in love with is the product. Um, I, you know, I can sell ice to Eskimos if I think they need ice, you know, but it has to be good ice and it has to be better ice for a reason. Um, there is some really amazing stuff out there. I have people every single day asking me to check out a product, give them an opinion. Um, and, you know, there's some brilliant stuff hitting the network marketing industry. Um, I think that product has to be unique and different because, you know, you can only sell so many of the same thing before a market gets saturated. Um, so finding something in the unique product category um, is is really super critical. I, I think when you're looking for that product, it has to be something that even when the chips are down, that the person will still need. Um, so, you know, consumable product that is absolutely important and critical to a person's life that is the, the first time that they have a, a bit of a rough patch, it's not going to be the first thing that they throw out um, and say, you know what, I don't need this. So, you know, that to me is the most important thing is you got to love the product. It's got to be unique and it's got to be important and consumable and something that, that people are going to go ahead and continue to buy. Um, you know, and then there's the company. You know, the company has to be rock solid. And this is where I want you to speak because, you know, there, there could be a great product and there can be just the people behind it aren't the people that you want to be doing business with. How do they find the right people to do business with, Peter? You know, that's the, that's a really tough thing. And mm-hmm. I guess in our industry as well as anything else um, is going to be one of the critical limiting factors for sure. So the challenge is, is I really would look for people that are going to do the right thing no matter what. So that's tough. I mean, that's really tough. And even people that start off a certain way because they're new and novices at growing a business, especially when one of them grows very big, um, it's really revealing. It's going to be revealing of a leadership or a management flaw. I'll use as an example. I worked with um, – I was part owner of a network marketing company back in 2001. And we had a fair and aggressive plan, a compensation plan. And we as owners – there were five of us – we as owners were – we knew we had to invest money and we were investing time and we knew that we had to make sure the affiliates of the distributors were always paid first. And then we also knew we had to come to the conclusion. And when we picked our partners, we picked them for one of these reasons is we said, how are we going to handle it when we're still at risk? Like when we're still at risk, meaning we're still working as hard as we are because, you know, when Don, you talk about product 
and compensation plan, you're never done. If you own one of these things, you are never done. (laughs) You're always reinventing yourself. You're always dealing with challenges. The more people you have, the more challenges you have. It's very high-maintenance kind of a thing. It's not something you think of you're going to build and walk away unless you're going to sell it. So I said, how are we going to deal with this when we're still working our butts off and we have affiliates or distributors that have built a business and they're talking about going on their third vacation for the month. <laughs> and yeah, that's the thing, you know. If the owner of the company isn't working as harder or, or harder than I am, there's a problem. Right. <laughs> and you know, that's a really important piece too. You know, the person that you choose to get into business with, because here's the thing: you've got you've got several things that you need to take into consideration when you're choosing what network marketing, what MLM, what direct sales company am I going to do? Because there's a lot of them out there now. Um, My personal choice is always going to be, okay, who do I know that's in leadership in the field? If I'm getting into a field position, I want to know who's doing the job, who's doing it really, really well, who's completely connected with corporate, and who's going to get me a phone call answered when I need a phone call answered, who's going to get me what I need as a leader. Now, as, as somebody who's brand new in network marketing, the, the most important thing to you is going to be the education, okay? So there's, there's always going to be different things to look for depending on where you are in the, um, in the scheme of things, really. If I'm brand new in network marketing, I've never done this before in my life, I'm going to look for leadership that has really, really, really good training calls, Who's, who's doing webinars, training calls, who's plugged into tools and systems, who's got the time and the availability to me that's going to actually do three-way calls with me, that has some stuff put in place for that. You know, I've known some really amazing leaders. And, I, I mean, I'm going to – it's okay if I throw out a couple of names yeah. of some people. But, all right, so, I mean, between Bev Teresa Kitchen and Tara Lynn Hoy and Tila Munt Silver – and I mean, I, there's a there's a pretty big list. Trudy Gilman, one of the most incredibly dedicated trainers. Um, like these people, when I met them in network marketing, I sat and I watched how they took all of their own personal time to do the work. Bill and Joanne Weber, incredibly supportive people. You know, these people made their living in network marketing in giving their time and their available resources and all of their tools and everything to the people that they brought on board with their businesses. Um, There are other people that I've watched who make great money for themselves, but they're not committed to creating the tools and the resources and giving their time to their people. So, you know, when you're looking in MLM leadership, be sure that you're looking at the – and talk to the people that have been sponsored by some of these leaders – how how are they plugged in with them? If they're plugged in with them and they're doing the job every day, and please know that if I there's no way that I could make the entire list of all of the people that have impressed me in network marketing. That was five people, um, <clears throat> you know. And I'm thinking of people that are going to be upset that I didn't say them too already. But you know, here's the thing. Well, they have to listen every night because eventually they do. Because I'll make a list of how great they are every night. <laughs> you know, but I mean, those people fly off the tip of my tongue because every time I talk to them, they're doing something else for their teams. So it doesn't matter if it's you know this if it's a weight loss supplement or if it's something for depression or if it's something for you know the next technology if it's going to be the next game that everybody wants to play. It doesn't matter 
what the product category is. As long as you found a category that turns you on, that makes you happy, that that really that you can scream from the rooftops for your customers, you know, the next piece of it, once you know it's the company and the product, is who are you going to get into business with as your sponsor? You know, and there's really, you know, your sponsor, if you are brand new, you got to look for trainers. you got to look for the people who are going to dedicate their time and train. And then, and then, of course, it's always great if you can find that magical husband and wife recruiter trainer team. So you've got your <laughs> – that's the magical combination right there. That's right. Well, it really so, is. So a lot of this has to do with um, how are you going to pick your network marketing companies a little bit like how would you pick a stock. Are you, are you looking for a short-term gain? You know, you just want to come in and make a hit and then go out? Or are you going to do something maybe long-term? We, us, on this call, have a tendency to be more long-term thinkers. But let's face it, if I was going to be a short-term thinker, I want to come in, take a hit, and get out, I'd be thinking about, you know, when is Ackman going to do his next presentation because the volatility of the stock. So if it was just about <laughs> that, right, then you yep, just choose yep. that. But if you're thinking about long-term, like, wait a minute, I really don't – this is my career, Peter. You know, maybe I'm frustrated with whatever I'm doing in the corporate world. I want to come out here and do with this career. I would say, you know, finally, somebody's kind of – well, maybe not finally because there's other people that are speaking similar things to what we're saying right here. But I'm glad to hear it again. It's a refreshing remark, and the stakes are high. For those people that are out there, can't tell you how many times I've heard somebody call me for our services and say, I just quit my job because I'm doing this whatever thing – and I really need to be able to make it work. And I'm saying, oh, my gosh, you did what? Because they were sold on something, and whatever they were sold on really was more fluff and symbolism than substance. And maybe the plan might be able to work for them eventually, but it wasn't going to be something that you quit your full-time job at and just jump into. So we all know examples of people that did, but sometimes, you know, you got to go through and learn some of these things as we go. So, Dawn, I'm going to let you wrap up this call and tell them why they should be here tomorrow. Because well, we're going to have I will, and thank you so much, Peter. I know you have to have to get get on a plane and get some stuff done, which yep. I'm, I'm actually quite excited about. But we'll yep. we'll share with them next week about that. Yep. So, thank you for your time as give always. The, yep, and give them the Bob thing. We'll catch you later. All right, I'm about to tell you about Bob. <laughs> there was a movie about Bob. What about Bob? I think. Um, but guys, Bob Adams is actually really become quickly a part of the Dash team. He is a real fantastic tax strategist and he gets so excited talking about taxes that I actually don't want to hide under my desk when we're going to do a show about this anymore. Um, he has a true passion for what he does and he's a real gifted gifted um, speaker when it comes to telling people well, about taxes, how to save money and, um, and how to make sure that you have all of those write-offs and the tax advantages of having your own home-based business. So he is going to be joining me tomorrow while Peter is in transit, and we are going to do another Dash episode on taxes and home-based business. So please make sure you bring your notebooks, get your friends, tell them that, that we're going to be doing another one, and uh, and we're pretty excited about it because Bob is a great guy. So we're going to have a post up on it. You'll be able to see it. We'll put the links up over on the, the upcoming episode, and you'll be able to go ahead and access that information shortly. So that is really all that I have to say and all that we have to say for tonight, tomorrow night. As we said, Bob Adams on taxes, so be here at 7 o'clock Eastern, and I will see you then. Take care and have a great evening, everybody. Bye now.